Leaders are purposeful, optimistic, persistent, and inspiring, and it's a combination of attitude and skill. Come along on a journey toward wisdom. The rewards in terms of self-satisfaction and self-actualization and feeling you've lived a good life, that's worth it. This is Seeker with Dave Jenks. I'm Matt Hayes. Dave, today we're tackling the topic of leadership. Now, I know you've been uh, in many leadership roles. I'm really interested to pick your brain a little bit about what you've seen and what you've done over the years. But first, let's define leadership. How would you define the word leadership? I think leadership is a human capacity, and it has to do with influence and impact. Obviously, leadership can be a position. I'm the leader of a project, or I'm the leader of a company, or I have a role or a position. And often, we tend in our mind, I think, to associate that. But as a seeker, I want to understand the activity of leadership, because I believe leadership is a set of attitudes and skills, and anyone can use them, and they can use them in any part of their life. They can give leadership to their family. They can give leadership to their church. They can give leadership to a community effort they're involved in, leadership to the Parent Teachers Association they're a part of, and of course, in their work and in their hobbies even. So I think leadership is a broad concept, but I think we consider someone a leader when they are having influence, usually positive influence, although many of us know we have met negative leaders, but usually positive influence and they're having an impact. They're causing some outcome to happen. I think really at the heart of it, that's what leadership is. There's different types of leadership then. It's just not one definition. It kind of forms and and becomes something different in each different role. Yes. It's role specific because I can be a leader in, I could be a manager of a certain division in my job, or I can be the leader of a business that I own, or I can have a position like I'm on the school board, I'm a trustee. And so leadership tends to follow roles. Some roles have, by definition, more of a leadership or directive or coordinating definition to them. And then I think leadership also is just the way I lead my life. I think some people are more in control of their life. Therefore, they're really more of a leader of their own life. And then everything they touch, they tend to influence in a positive way. And I think we all respect people who tend to have a positive influence on everything they're involved in. So in a sense, then leadership becomes a set of skills and attitudes, which you can apply to a wide variety of things in your life. So in a sense, everybody is a leader. I think everyone has the opportunity to be a leader. Many choose not to. Many choose to be passive, to accept leadership from others, look for others to take direction. But actually, in some ways, each of us, if we look at it at the very most personal level, we ask, how in control am I of my own life? How much am I making positive, constructive decisions in my own life? How much am I self-disciplining myself to go accomplish the things that I, I want to do and get the rewards from that that I want to. And in a sense, you'd say, well, then you're taking personal leadership of your life. But I think we're going to, we'll probably get a little bit away from that and more in this idea of impacting others or organizations or projects that we're part of. If we impact those positively, we are performing the role of a leader. So let's talk about your life journey and the different leadership positions that you've held over time. What type of leadership positions have you been put into and how did you learn about leadership through these roles and throughout and throughout your entire life? Well, it's interesting. It began early, which I think many times we become what we become in our life because of early experiences. So as the oldest of five boys in a family, and my father was a bit of a dictatorial leader, so the first thing I kind of learned as an observer of leaders was his role model, which didn't feel good as the recipient of it, being autocratic and dictatorial and 
kind of the old-fashioned disciplinarian, as they say, which meant that if there was ever a disturbance going on, he would take the oldest one that was there, he would hit them first, and then he'd ask questions. So since that usually was me, I learned very much to try and avoid getting hit. By doing that, it was interesting, he helped me learn a really good lesson, and that is how could I get people to cooperate together? I learned how to work with my four brothers. We were playing games. If any of us got hurt, I knew I had maybe 30 seconds to calm that situation and prevent the one who got hurt, the youngest one usually, from getting to the back door of the house because if that brother got to the back door of the house and was crying and upset, then my dad was coming out the back door and I was going to be the one that got hit. So it was really interesting by that necessity. I learned to be a good mediator, a good leader, a good organizer of things. And then I think I naturally chose to move into that, you know, organizing the games. I was one of the older kids in the neighborhood, so I would organize the games. I organized the Jenks Home Library where we lent out books that we had. And then I think as I moved through education, I guess maybe it was my nature. I think a lot of people have that nature. When I saw something that needed to get done, I jumped in and got it done. If a teacher needed something done in the room, I went and got it done. If we needed to get, you know, have two or three people involved in it, I would recruit them to the project and get it done. And I think that carried on through school. I was captain of several athletic teams that I was a part of. A friend of mine and I, we were graduate students working on our doctorates at Michigan State University. We both loved softball, loved baseball, loved softball. We went to try out for this team of graduate students that were part of the East Lansing City League in Michigan. And we went to the practice and we all participated in all that stuff. And I played shortstop and he played the outfield and we're leaving. And he goes, I can't believe you. And I went, what do you mean? He said, do you know what you just did? We came into a group of strangers and the brother of the manager was the shortstop. And you came in and by the end of the session, you were the shortstop and everyone was praising you. And he said, I'm a better outfielder than any of their outfielders, but I'm not going to start. He said, what you did was amazing. So I think in that, what he reflected back to me, Matt, was a set of skills I learned that basically leadership and influence is about relationship. And then I would just tell you as I moved on, you know, to have positions in education and then positions in the world of business and became a regional director for Century 21 and then became a divisional president for them and then became an executive vice president for Keller Williams and all of that and then got more into my own entrepreneurial things. I really, really have studied this idea of what it takes to make things happen and to organize people and to get things done. And the culmination of it, what did I learn, was that just recently at Master Networks at their annual convention called Connect. They gave their first ever Person of Influence Award to me. And they're going to, because I'm an old guy, they're going to name the award after me, the Dave Jenks Person of Influence Award. But it got me really thinking, and I think that's one of the reasons we're on the topic, and we'll get into it in a little more detail, but I really have spent probably a lifetime both learning from my own experiences, Matt, and learning from my own studies of what it takes to be an effective and powerful leader. So really, leadership is a real deep responsibility that people have, it seems. How do we use that responsibility then to influence others to be kind of a positive role model or voice in the world then? I think, first of all, it begins with an attitude of taking it on, of wanting things to happen, of wanting good outcomes, of seeing what's possible and saying, boy, that would be good if we could make that happen. And so it's kind of having this this look at how things might be. It doesn't matter whether it was a softball team or it doesn't matter whether it was a class I was teaching for Dale Carnegie or it didn't matter if I was leading a division of Century 21 or ultimately higher up or building a company like I did with Keller Williams and becoming 
being dean of Keller Williams University, any of those times when you care about the outcome and you have this positive feeling toward wanting to achieve those outcomes or maybe build something that isn't now true, I think then you sort of click into this idea of, well, how could I make that happen? And when you say to yourself, how could I make that happen? And how could I get others to work with me to make that happen? Then you click into this idea of leadership. And then the rest of it beyond that attitude is skill. How do I do that? How do I communicate with people? How do I get things done? How do I get things organized? How do I help others be organized? How do I help them realize their potential? How do I help them be more confident? How do I help them get through rough spots and tough spots and their own self-discouragement? And as I get to touch both organizations and projects and people in that way of trying to create desired positive outcomes, then I think I take on, Matt, that idea of being a leader. So I think it all starts with that attitude of wanting to make a difference to cause good positive outcomes. What is it that people look for in a leader? Are there kind of any characteristics or traits that stand out amongst people that are huge leaders in life? I think there are, and I think they're available to all of us. The one place that I learned greatly about it, of all the books on leadership I've ever read, the one most powerful one is a book called Credibility by James Cousas, K-O-U-Z-E-S, and Barry Posner, P-O-S-N-E-R. And it's not really a famous book, but I will tell you, of all the books I've ever read on leadership, it's the most real, it's the most researched, it's heavily researched, and it says what followers want from their leader is credibility. They want that person to be believable. They want them to be honest. They want them to take chances and be a role model. They want them to go first. They want them to be encouraging, to recognize them and their talents individually and get people cooperative. They want them to be a person who describes the shared values that the team has and really encourages that, who develops other people, who educates them and trains them and develops them to be more effective in the on the team or in the organization. And I think there's a sense that they have a sense of purpose that there's a sense of, of wanting a better outcome. They're sort of very purposeful people. I think those characteristics make a difference. Now, I wanna go a little deeper because I think that because of my getting this award, I went to Chaz Wilson, who's the CEO and co-founder of Master Networks, and I said, why don't we write a book on this? I mean, you're recognizing me as a person of influence. That's what they called it, the Person of Influence Award. Why don't we write a book on what it is to be a person of influence? Because we don't really believe that it's just about a leadership position. In fact, I really haven't had a leadership position in Master Networks, but you're saying I am a person of influence. And I think when I look at my life, I would agree with that. I don't know. I certainly have worked with people I would consider more effective leaders than I am, but I still have had positive influence both on individuals and on projects and on companies that I was a part of. And so I said, why don't we write a book on it? So Matt, guess what? We've begun to write the book and there are four things that we highlight in that book. So what are these four things, Dave? They're an acronym, P-O-P-I a person of positive influence. So P-O-P-I stands for how to become a person of positive influence. And we pronounce it Popeye, how to be a Popeye, a leader. And that stands for four words that really when you think about it, and certainly we made the words fit the acronym for memorability's sake, but truthfully, when you, the more you look at it, you go, wow, these words really describe it. So the P is purposeful. The O is optimistic. The second P is persistent. And the I is inspiring. What we've come to understand as we've begun to write this book about this is that those four things are very important and it's a combination of who you are, that's your attitude, and what you do 
that's your skill. So leadership and influence and impact, we're calling the book, title of the book is Impact, Becoming a Person of Positive Influence. Impact or leadership is about these four things and it's about a combination of attitudes and skills. And just briefly, what it means is if a person is purposeful, it means they're future oriented, they're goal oriented, they look for solutions, they look for ways to get there, implementation, and they have a sense of intentionality. It's my intention to cause this to happen. Now, the skill side of it is they're good at planning. They're good at goal setting. They're good at outcome framing, describing what it is we want to create. They're good at problem solving. And they're good at creating a vision that others can tie into. Now, the second one is optimistic. And it's really interesting because Martin Seligman says that one of the most powerful things in life is an optimistic attitude. And he describes from a psychological point of view how that is. What we mean is they are possibility thinkers. They don't get all caught up in problems. They're possibility thinkers. They look for constant improvement. They're not perfectionists. They figure, get it started, improve it along the way. Constant improvement is better than delayed perfection. They're accountable in that they believe if it's to be, it's up to me. So they take ownership and they approach something with a positive can-do energy. Now, the skill side of it is that they're good at articulating challenges and solutions. They're good at processing people towards solutions. They're good at self-talk. They talk to themselves in a positive way. They overcome negative thinking that way. They build in tracking systems. So there's an automatic feedback loop that allows for understanding progress. And they build a set of disciplines and habits that have to do with maintaining their optimism, even in difficult times, which now takes us then to the, the next one, the, the second P, which is persistent. So they really are courageous, first of all. They're willing to do things that are difficult and realize they won't get it perfect. They're determined. They have a sense of, if this is going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. They have a work ethic. They're mentally tough. Things don't get them knocked off their feet easily. And they're resilient and tenacious. If they get knocked down, they get back up. That's the attitude. Now, the skill side is they're good at dealing with doubt and fear, their own and other people's. They keep commitments. They make commitments and they keep them. They learn how to deal with stress and how to overcome negative thinking and negative events. That's the skill side of persistent. And finally, they're inspiring. I think from an attitude point of view, they have an attitude of service and contribution. They come across as authentic, credible, and sincere. They have a sense of generosity and abundance. They're not looking at all out for themselves. Uh, they're values oriented. They have a set of standards that they articulate and live to, and they trust other people until somebody lets them down, but they believe in the potential of other people. That's the attitude. Now, the skill side is they're good teachers and mentors. Uh, they're good at giving people feedback so they can improve. They give recognition so that people feel the progress of developing their talents, and they're good at articulating values and standards and things that are worthy to live by, and they're good storytellers, and therefore they build a good culture. Those are kind of four quick ways. I mean, obviously, when the book comes out, people can read it. But I think that's it. I think leaders are purposeful, optimistic, persistent, and inspiring. And it's a combination of attitude and skill. If you're a Popeye, do you also have to have lots of spinach? You do. And spinach is spinach just drives you. You eat very healthy. And it would be interesting to kind of think about what is the spinach of a Popeye, right? And I think it is positive thinking and constructive thinking and a sense of gratitude and abundance. In other words, when you take those in, what comes out is possibility thinking, creativity, and endurance. And I understand that if you're under the age of 30, you probably have no clue what reference I just made. And I completely understand <laughs> that. So are these traits that you talked about, is that something someone is born with or is it something you learn? I believe it's a set of attitudes and skills you develop over life. 
Now, you can get off to good beginnings if you have good positive role models around you. Uh, I didn't, actually, other than in school and in my teachers and coaches. So I did have some, but I didn't write in my own family. So you get you can get it early with role models, and maybe like I did, you get thrown into a leadership role because you're the oldest of the children, or somebody in school, rec- a teacher recognizes you and, and gives you encouragement to become a leader. All those things can happen, but I think the thing to remember is that anyone can become more of a leader. It's only a matter of them beginning to develop a more constructive, positive, determined attitude and these other things that we mentioned and to begin to build their skill. And probably the the final thing in that, Matt, is developing the courage, the willingness to step in. See, when I see a void or something that needs to get taken care of, I just have a natural instinct to step in. Sometimes I might step in too hard and become too assertive, particularly in a public situation if I see somebody cutting in line or I see somebody that needs to get through and other people are just not even paying attention, then I'll, you know, I'll kind of take charge and let that person through or I'll stop the person from cutting in line. I don't know where those instincts come from, but I think it comes from wanting things to be worked out well. And so when you have that instinct, you tend to use it more. But I think underneath it all, you have to work on your own courage, your own boldness, and your own willingness to take a risk. Because leadership is risky because when you step up, whether it's in a small group discussion or in waiting in line at a theater or in an organization, and you step up and announce a goal or announce an intention or make a suggestion or try and get people to think in a certain way, then it's risky. You can get put down. You can get made fun of. You can get criticized. Uh, you can get resisted. There's a downside, but I think over time what you learn as a leader is there's none of it you can't handle and you never take any of it personally. I mean, that you learn to do that, obviously. At the beginning, everything's personal and it's hard not to, but you learn to kind of get a little bit of a tough skin about that and realize that whatever their issues they're raising with you as the leader are, it's their issues. And you can try and honor it and respect it and deal with it, but you don't have to take it personally. You don't have to get angry and you don't have to get defensive and you certainly don't have to get discouraged. So I think it's an opportunity that everyone has to take more charge of things in their life and make a bigger difference in the way they live. We know that leadership isn't easy. There's a lot of things that can happen that can go wrong. And let's be honest, we're still human beings. We're still dealing with humans. So what are some of the common mistakes that as a leader we should look out for? What are the common mistakes that leaders just genuinely might make? I think the ones we think are there are not the ones that are there. And there's a big one that's there that sometimes we don't think about. So the one that's not there is making mistakes. I think leaders make mistakes. And I think you need to be willing to make mistakes and then fess up and own up. Oh, got that one wrong. Oh, I overstepped my bounds here. Oops, I didn't really ask questions. I should have asked more questions before I made that comment. If you can own the mistakes you make, people will forgive you. That's part of your credibility, your authenticity, and that's fine. They'll let that go, and then they'll they'll probably even encourage you more to be a leader because they'll trust you. I think the places leaders go wrong is when they get arrogant and self-centered, when they believe it's really about them. See, leaders really understand it's about the venture. It's about the outcome. It's about everyone achieving this together. It's not about them. I mean, they can own their role in it and they can be self-confident in that. And maybe at the end of it, they can be very proud or feel very good about the accomplishment that they know they were a part of. But the minute they start thinking it's about them and you get into that arrogance and that control and my way or the highway or I'm the boss and you do what I say and, you know, I'm the one who writes the checks and I'm the one that's in charge and I'm the one with the position. The minute that happens, man, you are just going to undermine the venture. One, talented people will leave you. 
because they can. Number two is the passive ones that stay will resist you. They just won't do what you want. You won't understand why things aren't going the way you want them to. And you'll get more irritated and more angry. And I think that's an extension. One of the things you know when you're off base is when you're too angry. When you're dealing with anger and you're taking frustration out on other people. You're not looking in the mirror. You're not looking at yourself. You're blaming everything on them. You're becoming kind of a reverse victim. You're the victim even though you're in the role of control. You're becoming the victim because you're believing they're undermining you and it's probably what you're doing that causes it. So I think arrogance is the big one. I think lack of awareness is another. Some people just aren't paying attention and don't see how others are responding to them or don't even see what's happening. And then I think the other is people who think they already know it all. And therefore, they're not learning-based and they're not into the idea of building new skill and new attitudes and being self-reflective and self-aware. I think those people, and they're stuck. I mean, wherever they are, they're stuck and they won't get new leadership opportunities. They may want them, but they won't get them because other people know how they're built, what they do. They'll know that they have the wrong attitude and they don't have the right skills. If you don't have the attitude and skills, no one's going to put you in those leadership positions, no matter how much you want them. Last question. Being a leader is not easy. So why do it? It's rewarding. It's massively rewarding. There's two ways in which it's rewarding. One is it gets you what you want. I mean, when you build the skills to become a leader, you are in control of what goes on, including your own life. One is you get a little more self-control because I think leadership begins, it's an internal game. You learn to become a leader of your own life. You learn to be more encouraging to yourself. You learn to set goals and you build those skills of action planning to get to your goals and the discipline and accountability it takes to be on that path. So in a sense, you build your own achievement and success skills for yourself when you become a leader. Second thing is, though, that you get a great satisfaction out of accomplishing things. When you get to the end of a venture that involved a lot of people's work and a lot of coordination and getting through some tough times and you were the one that was coordinating it or you made a very positive influence on it and you know it, that feels so good feels so good. But add to that the frosting, which is when other people recognize it. Like with me, when I got my award for being a person of influence, I mean, that felt really good. That was wonderful for people to say, Dave, we love what you do. We recognize what you do. And thanks for doing that. And that feels wonderful. So I think for the work, it's like a lot of things in, in life, Matt. They take work. They're not easy. There's some fear and doubt that are going to be involved in it. But at the other end of that, the rewards in terms of self-satisfaction and self-actualization and feeling you've lived a good life, that's worth it. Also, being a strong leader can also lead to having very strong relationships with people too. Absolutely, Matt. And I think that, in fact, the, the guys who wrote Credibility said that leadership is relationship. So in a sense, we're talking relationship. And I know that's where we want to go in our next episode. To hear other episodes of the podcast, go to seekerthebook.com.